Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I have Victor Briere on with us. He is an Ayurvedic doctor and the co-founder of the International Institute of Ayurveda. So I'm super excited to have you on today, Victor, and um, chat everything Ayurveda. I haven't had anyone on talking about Ayurveda in a while, so welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah, so I would love to dive in um, first with how did you get interested or how did you even discover Ayurveda? I discovered Ayurveda because I had a health problem of my own when I was a young, young guy in college. I had this nagging back pain in my left shoulder blade. And I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in a very kind of with a normal Western mindset towards health uh, for the vast majority of my upbringing. And, you know, that is you hope you're healthy, you get sick, you go to a doctor and hope that they can fix it. And if they can't, then you go to another doctor and hope that they can fix it. And the story goes on. Um, so I had this pain in my back when I was 18 and that's exactly what I did. I went to the doctor, got MRIs, got x-rays, physical therapy to no avail. And eventually after being, you know, passed through the circuit a number of times to different doctors, one doctor said, Hey, sorry. Um, but basically you got two choices. You could take painkillers or you can get surgery. And I was not okay with either of those options being, I think at that time, a 19 year old guy. And so I, I decided that, you know, even though I didn't know what to do at the time, I was going to start to explore. So I did. And that eventually brought me to a yoga studio, an Iyengar yoga studio. And I started doing that a little bit and realized that, oh, there's a lot here that is new or different. So I scheduled a time with the instructor to assess me personally and see if there was something she could help me with about my back. So she did and gave me a few asanas to do. And within two weeks, this pain I had had for years was gone, never to return again. And that was very mind opening for me. So I said, okay, I said to myself, well, wow, there is a whole world here of healing that I was just completely unaware of what else is out there? A few years later, um, I start practicing Kundalini yoga and, um, the co-founder of the clinic with me is my current Kundalini yoga teacher. His name's Joe Rich. And I was at the time, this was 11 years ago. I was 24 years old and I, uh, I was looking for a career change. I was in real estate at the time and I wanted to do something more impactful. And so he said, well, have you heard of Ayurveda? I said, no, what's Ayurveda? And Long story short, I went to school, studied Ayurveda and never looked back. That's amazing. And that's how I find most people have found just holistic wellness in general is just always through their own journey and their own discovery. So thank you for sharing your story with us. Absolutely. So I would love to know, since you're, you know, you've been studying it practicing it and, you know, working with people, what has Ayurveda taught you through the years? Oh man, do we have an, I don't think we have enough time, to that. but I, I guess I'll just start. Uh, that's a great question. I guess where I'll start is Ayurveda has taught me how to be preventative and how to deal with the fundamental cause of an issue. And that transcends to more than the physical body. So through my learning of Ayurveda, I learned that pretty much every issue has a fundamental cause. And until we kind of tap into what that fundamental cause is, we're just kind of spinning our wheels. 
So that goes with relationships, that goes with health, that goes with how I run my business, goes with everything. So that's a, been a huge takeaway from Ayurveda. Um, on another side of it, Ayurveda is a big, you know, uh, proponent of everyone as an individual constitution. And when I took that in and really kind of applied that to my life and more than just my health, it, it'll, it ended kind of almost surprisingly, it ended my, a lot of my self-judgments, uh, my self-criticisms and the criticisms of, you know, this thing needs to be like that thing or something like that. And kind of opened the door to create some space around uniqueness in a way I hadn't before. And kind of like uh, the Beatles, you know, let it be um, when appropriate and allow things to grow into what they are meant to grow into um, while still, of course, dealing with the fundamental root causes of any issues that are coming up. So it kind of gave me both sides of that spectrum. And I, I like to think I blended them into a nice lifestyle for myself. I would love to talk about that because, you know, Ayurveda does talk so much about lifestyle. Um, how do you kind of make that work, uh, making room for your practices and still, you know, working and running a business? Uh, there, I definitely have a structure to my day for sure, but that's not to say that it's completely inflexible. Um, I think that's the danger on the other end, but I've cultivated myself over the years to wake up very early um, and start my sadhana or my, my yogic practices by basically 5 a.m. And that was not easy. That took a lot of time. So for those out there who are like, what, 5 a.m.? Um, don't worry, you can do it. You just have to cultivate that and go a little bit slowly. You can't just expect to do it all in one day. And then I, I really wrestled with myself because I had a lot of habits from the past that I knew I needed to change because I believed in the wisdom of Ayurveda, but didn't just change just because I wanted them to change. So eating habits was one. I mean, we all have comfort food eating habits and we like to eat when we eat or why we or eat what we eat. And I had a lot of those growing up as just kind of a normal Western guy. I like to eat hamburgers. I like to eat meat. I like to eat uh, French fries. I like to um, drink soda. I like to drink coffee, all those things. So when I first started Ayurveda, I was like, yeah, I mean, I know these things are negatively impacting my health. And I had to sit down with myself and make a choice of where on my life priority list, my health was going to be. And also the delusions I used to think, you know, yeah, I'm a healthy guy just because I didn't have any illnesses in the moment. But the reality was I wasn't, and I was definitely on a trajectory towards illness, which knock on wood, I avoided a lot of those. Um, so I had to sit down with myself and say, health is, you know, number one or two on my list of priorities in my life. And, and then I had to adjust my lifestyle accordingly. So I stopped drinking alcohol. I stopped drinking coffee. I started eating at the right times, meaning lunch and a small dinner. Um, I choose to ignore the cultural myth that calories, you need a certain amount of calories and X, Y, Z to have a healthy body and just started eating Ayurvedically, meaning I had two meals a day instead of three. Um, I ate at, I ate dinner at the right time. I went through the hard period of being hungry and uncomfortable so that until my body could normalize again and that all took a lot of time and effort and will. Um, but the payoff was immense. I mean, I'd never go back to my old lifestyle, even if you tried to force me to. 
which I know you never would, but you know. <laughs> no, I love that you shared that with, I mean, everything you were just saying, I was like, yep, I can so relate to, you know, those feelings and the feelings of the hunger and like, oh, switching that time and having, you know, dinner be the smaller meal. Um, and I'm giving up coffee. That was some, that was something I just actually gave up in the last two weeks. I was like, okay, I'm going to take this out finally. And um, I feel great. Like I have energy, more energy in the morning and, you know, kind of this is something that I always find when you make these changes and you, you know, maybe share it with people, they're like, oh, I would never be able to give that up or I could never do that. Um, and I think that some of that, that Western mindset that we have and that calories uh, myth that you had said, this is something that I run up to too with people is, you know, if I'm like, Hey, you know, let's just look at food, not in terms of like how many calories am I get or how much protein fats, carbohydrates, um, you know, cause usually everyone's like, where's the protein, where's the protein. So could you touch a little bit on that? Because I think sometimes we get stuck because we're so programmed with what is, what is our diet? Is it going to be keto? Is it whole 30? You know, what are we following? Um, instead of really just tuning into what we actually need. So can you touch a little bit on that? Yeah, I love talking about this topic because there are so many mythologies in there, cultural mythologies. Um, the first is that our culture in the West is very nutrient oriented. What does it have in it? What does this food have inside of it that I need to put in my body and get? That's really not the way. I mean, that's part of the way our body works, of course, but really not even close to the whole picture. Um, and so Ayurveda tells a very different story of how digestion works. And in my experience, it's been the true story or much closer to the truth, let's say, than the Western model. When we just hyper-focus on foods external to us, we don't take into account how well our own system is relating to those foods. So we say, oh, you know, I need X amount of protein. But if you eat something with a bunch of protein in it, but don't digest it properly, you're not, your body's not utilizing that protein. And then we have this other mythology that if my body doesn't utilize it, then it just has no effect on me. That's not true either. If your body doesn't utilize it properly and it doesn't evacuate it, which is more often the case than not, then you develop what in Ayurveda is called ama, which is undigested material that circulates through the body and starts causing problems. It's what we would call in the West toxicity. So there is a consequence to eating thing, to overnourishing ourselves, but don't think of nourishment as, oh, I'm doing something good for myself. Think over -nutri nutritioning ourselves. If I just eat a bunch of things or take a bunch of supplements that have all these things in them, because I need this and I need that, but my body doesn't absorb it, I run into problems, health problems, not just health neutrality or benefit. And that's, so that's a big, that's a big thing is what is, what is my body capable of digesting at any given moment? That also goes into when we eat, because we have a circadian rhythm, when our metabolism is most built to intake food and our emotional states. And I know we're going to talk about the autonomic nervous system and the vagus nerve a little bit later on, but if I eat stressed out, it very, it really doesn't matter too much what I'm eating in the sense of how healthy it is, because I will not get the benefit of that food. I, if I'm eating stressed out or eating angry or eating, uh, emotionally sad and grief, despair, uh, all those, those things, my digestive process is not going to work right. And I could eat the best cucumber in the world and it won't do a thing for me. It'll actually become toxic. Mm 
in my system. So I encourage people to look at both sides of the coin. Look at how your body's dealing with the food you're putting into it and the food, both. And typically we like to forget, we, we like to put it on the food because then I don't have to deal with my own body. I can blame wheat or I can blame um, gluten or I could blame whatever food I want. Then I don't have to look at myself. Mm. And speaking of this with digestion, because I found this to be something that I've seen a lot is sometimes we don't know what a good digestion, you know, when I say, oh, do you have good digestion? Usually everyone's yes. And then I'm like, okay, you're having a bowel movement every single day. Well, no. So could you touch a little bit on that? Because I think sometimes in the, again, in the West, we think, okay, yeah, I have a movement every few days or, you know, a couple times a week and I'm good. So can you touch a little bit about what Ayurveda says about that? Yeah. Digestion starts, starts actually with the desire to live. That's where digestion starts in Ayurveda and it ends with the evacuation of excess. So that's a long, much longer process than we think about in the West. In the West, it's digestion starts after you swallow something. Um, but in Ayurveda, there are about 10 steps before that point. And then, you know, as long as, as long as you don't get a stomach ache or gastric discomfort, then we say our digestion's good. But that's far from the truth. Like you said, oh, okay, what, what is a good bowel movement? According to Ayurveda, a good bowel movement is every day, in the morning, before you eat, it floats, it's shaped like a banana. And after you have it, you feel relieved and satisfied. Well, I only know about 1% of people that experience that. So that means 99% of the people have some kind of GI disturbance, according to Ayurveda. And that just goes to show how far away we are from a healthy culture. And, uh, you know, I hope, I hope the listeners are, are hearing that and saying, well, wait a second, lifespans are longer and stuff like that. Well, maybe, and I do say maybe, I mean, maybe that's not necessarily true, but we are an extremely unhealthy culture. Uh, disease rates are increasing. Diabetes is going up, depression, anxiety going up. The amount of medications the average person is taking is going up, not down. So our culture is getting sicker, not healthier. And this is reflected in the digestive process. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, I think if you think about like what Ayurveda is, I mean, they, we talk a lot about digestion in Ayurveda and that's, that's why, you know, because it tells us so much about our health and, you know, really what's going on. Um, so thank you for speaking on that. And I would love to kind of now, you know, transition into talking about the autonomic nervous system and, you know, how that plays a factor in our bodies. Yeah, the autonomic nervous system is huge. Um, it is for people listening. The autonomic nervous system is the nervous part of our nervous system that controls a lot of the automatic functions in our body. So, for example, heart rate. Um, it has a big influence on blood pressure. It has a huge influence on blood sugar levels. It deals with um, messaging between all the vital organs. So, our autonomic nervous system. Uh, combines with our enteric nervous system, which is big in the digestive process and deals with the secretion of different digestive fluids or so on and so forth. So it's got a huge list of functions. One of its primary functions is we have an automatic system built into us to detect whether our environment is safe or threatening. And that's a really big deal. I'll say that again, because it's so important. 
there is an automatic system inside all of us that deals with how safe or threatening our environment is. And it's connected to every sense organ we have. And those sense organs are connected to our brain and the same nerve, the vagus nerve, it's one single nerve or collection of nerves connects all of our vital organs, all of our sense organs and our brain, brain being one of the vital organs. So there is one nerve that connects everything. And it is sensitive to how we perceive our environment. That's a big deal, Ayurvedically speaking. Ayurveda says that we digest, we have to digest our sense perceptions. And now some people might read that and say, oh, that's a nice metaphor. But that's the big leap from West to East. That's not a metaphor in Ayurveda. That's very literal. Meaning you look at something in your external environment, it runs through your physical nervous system and it influences your digestion. If you see something threatening outside of your body, your entire physiology changes in less than a second at the speed of light. If you see something threatening in your external environment, and it doesn't even have to be actually threatening, it's just perceived threat, or you hear a threatening sound, or you hear the voice of someone and it grinds you and you know you get all tense and, oh, I hate that sound, or I hate that voice, or I hate that thing, and your body tenses up, your don't just think of your muscle tension, your entire digestive system temporarily shifts into going away from digesting food and creating resources for your body to utilize, to heal and rejuvenate and repair to a defensive posture of how am I going to deal with the perceived threat, fight, flight, freeze. There's another one, but we're not going to get into that today because it's much more complicated. Well, so yeah. that's, that's, that's one half of the autonomic nervous system. The other half, that's called the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the half of the autonomic nervous system that deals with when you feel safe. So the voice of a loved one, or you go into a beautiful environment where everything's serene, or you get deep into a meditation, or you practice breathing exercises or whatnot. And your vagus nerve will actually, which is part of the parasympathetic nervous system, will actually transition your body into saying, hey, vital organs, it's good to digest food now. Lower the heart rate, lower the breath rate, feel calm, feel safe. You know, relax your eyes, relax your limbs, relax everything. And this is automatically going on within us every second of every day of our life. So it's not, we don't have direct control over it. We might have indirect control over it, but not direct control over it. And when you were talking about, um, you know, just the, the fight or flight and, you know, when you're eating, you know, if you're watching the news or if you're working, you know, this is why it's hard to digest, no matter if you're eating the most healthy thing in the world for you. But if you can't digest what you're taking in, it's not going to go through you. And this is why, you know, eating at your table is better versus eating in front of a TV. You know, it's stuff like that, that sometimes we kind of glaze over, you know, everything you were talking about, but making those things tangible, like this is why they suggest not to do those practices. Yeah. It's, it's not just some little suggestion. It's actually a huge deal in your long-term health profile. The, the effect it has is monumental. It's actually more important than the nutrient content of your food. Mm -hmm. 
And I think we've lost probably in the last maybe 20 years, you know, when people are busy and don't always sit down and eat a meal together at the table anymore. So you can kind of see probably the trend of that and digestion issues probably. I mean, I haven't looked at stats, but I'm sure there's probably stats that back that up that we've had more digestive issues maybe since we've gone away and our fast paced lifestyle. Well, there are definitely stats that back that up. And it's, I mean, it's universal when I see people clinically, um, you know, it's a common conversation to have with someone where it's come in, it's like, okay, I don't get it. I'm eating all the right things. I'm being healthy. I don't, and still I'm putting on weight or, you know, my diet, my blood sugar is not decreasing because diabetes is, is now one of the biggest problems in the United States. Uh, what's going on? I don't, I'm eating everything I, I was told to eat. And therein lies a the problem. They're not looking at the other aspects of the digestive process. They're only looking at one sliver of the pie, pun intended. So if someone's listening, they're like, well, what are some like maybe tangible, easy things that they could implement to start maybe improving their own digestion um, or just like practices such as like, hey, you know, start eating at the table. Is there anything that comes to mind that would be universally beneficial? Yeah. And, you know, Ayurveda is not Ayurveda has a few universal things. Yeah. Um, on the whole, Ayurveda is about customization for a person. So take that into account. But there are a few universal things that we can pretty much do just as, as human beings that help us. One of the big ones I always suggest is eat by 6 p.m., no later. And that gives your body a long period of time to deal with the first part of digestion of that food uh, before you go to sleep. And that we could do a whole podcast just on that. The, the second thing is when you're eating, just eat, don't work, don't read, don't watch TV. Don't even, don't get into extremely heavy conversations. Even just eat light conversations. Fine. Um, it's good to eat with other people, but don't get into anything heavy. Just sit down calmly, take three to five deep breaths. And I know people have heard this before and they're like, I know, but, but get rid of the, butt and try it and practice it for a period of time. Because again, these things have been kind of written off as these minor practices, but they're not minor at all. They're major practices and they're simple. And so it almost seems like, how's that going to have an effect, but it has a big effect. So breathe. Make sure that you're in a semi-relaxed, if not fully relaxed state before you eat, and then focus on your food, chew, slow down, and then after you eat, sit quietly for five to 10 minutes. And such a simple thing can go such a long way for our health. Mm, yes, I love that. Um, and I would love to kind of uh, touch base on, you know, even I think it goes along those lines, but expressing natural urges and, you know, why it's important not to, not to hold them in. Um, and if people are unfamiliar with what that means, can you talk a little bit about what natural urges are? Yeah. Natural urges is one of the primary causes of disease in Ayurveda. So Ayurveda describes three major causes of disease, all disease. The first one is misuse or suppression of the, or sorry, suppression of the natural urges. And that is in the category of misuse of the senses. The second is misuse of wisdom or basically knowing that you should do something, but then you don't. Um, that's another cause of disease. 
And then the third is time, uh, meaning, you know, eventually our body's just going to break down. And the only one that's not curable is time. The other two can be dealt with. So suppression of the natural urge is commonly thought of as, you know, if I have to urinate and I don't for a long period of time, I'm suppressing the natural urge to urinate. Or if I have to defecate and I don't, I'm suppressing the natural urge to defecate. That one's probably more common for people. Or I get really hungry and I don't eat. I'm suppressing the natural urge to eat. Those are all um, disease causing. They start a disease pathology that winds up as a more common disease that we know of like Parkinson's or diabetes or migraines or you name it. The, the other aspect of that, which is relevant to the autonomic nervous system that we just talked about is let's say I get really angry, but I'm also afraid to express that anger because I'm afraid of the consequences of expressing that anger. So I bottle it. That's a suppression of a natural urge that's going to cause disease because that's going to send my autonomic nervous system haywire. And then that's going to affect all my vital organ function. So there are ways to learn how to express these natural urges that are harmonious and graceful. Cause I'm not saying that someone should just explode with anger every time they feel anger, but they also can't bottle it either. So that's where it really helps to get some help get someone who's neutral to your situation to start coaching you. Hmm. So emotions are natural urges, all of them. The desire to have sex is a natural urge. So if we suppress or repress our sexual desires and we don't untangle all those and start expressing them in a healthful way, then it it starts to generate disease inside our body. Uh, the resisting sleep is a suppression of a natural urge. So there's a whole world there too. So we have a lot of natural urges and Ayurveda is all about being able to express them in a graceful way. Yeah. And I think if we looked at our society as a whole, I mean, there's probably a lot of suppression going on that you can see and it comes out sideways. Um, so making sure you take the time and whatever that would be for you um, and explore and get help, um, you know, from professionals if needed. So I definitely think that's an important thing to touch on. So I would love to know now, Victor, um, I know you have a book. So Pulse Unveiled, the art and science of Ayurvedic pulse reading. So I have not had anyone talk about um, pulse reading on before. So can you tell us a little about what that is and maybe who this book might be for? Yeah, I love pulse reading. Pulse reading is one of Ayurveda's wonderful diagnostic arts. It is, don't think pulse reading like I go to the doctor, you know, they count the beats per minute and that's it. Ayurvedic pulse reading is a method of assessing everything going on in the body from the function of the vital organs to the quality of the tissues or datus is the Ayurvedic word for it, to the doshas, uh, Vata Pitta Kapha, the subdoshas of Vata Pitta Kapha, so on and so forth. An Ayurvedic pulse reader places uh, his or her fingers on the radial artery, which is just below the wrist, and then starts to make subtle adjustments to get information from seven layers of the pulse. So there's a lot of information that comes out. 
the pulse reader is trained to understand the language of the pulse and then basically learns to read what the pulse is saying about the form, the body. And then the pulse reader can get a lot of information that either the client doesn't know about or the client maybe has some vague idea but doesn't know it's important, so doesn't even know to talk about it. And then maybe even something that the, the person coming into the clinic is not being completely forthcoming about, but that is important in their healing process. So pulses are, are a wonderful way to listen to the body. And it takes a lot of practice to become a good pulse reader, but it's, it's, um, it's a really wonderful art and very also gives great feedback to the pulse reader themselves. The pulse reader who learn, who takes on the art of pulse reading learns a lot about him or herself in the process and learns a lot about how his, his or her own body works um, by learning about the body types of others. So, cause every pulse is completely unique, like a fingerprint. And the book is a manual of how to learn how to read pulses, or at least a starting point. And it's fully illustrated. Um, it goes step-by-step step of how to do it and all the seven layers of the pulse and how to convey the findings of a pulse reader of a pulse reading to the person whose pulses you just read and, um, how to wrap it all together. So when you get all this huge amount of information from the pulse, how do you then synthesize that into something useful? And uh, it's for anyone who's interested in learning, anyone in the healing world who's learning, it doesn't have to be Ayurveda, it can be translated into other fields of healing. Anyone who's looking for a diagnostic skill to pick up to make their assessment more sophisticated of their client. Um, there's also a workshop I've got going on in June online that's going to be hands-on, again, another pun, of how to read pulses. So that's the, that's pulse reading Ayurvedically. It's, it's really wonderful art form. Mm, I love that. That sounds like a great, great tool. And we, yeah, in my trainings, we just touched the surface of that. So I would love to know more about that. So I might have to check that out myself. Yeah, check it out. I'll send you a copy of the book. Yeah, thank you. I love that. Um, so I would love to talk just about one more piece. Cause I, uh, just because I am a trainer and this is something that I always am like, I fight my Ayurveda side and my training side about exercise and what Ayurveda says about exercise. So I would love for you, um, you know, since you're an Ayurvedic doctor to come on and share just kind of what, what you suggest for exercise, uh, according to Ayurveda. My, I personally take on Kundalini yoga as my form of exercise. In addition with, I, I'm not a sedentary person. I move around a lot through the day. I spend time outside. I, so there's an exercise component to that. I use my body quite frequently, even if I'm not hitting the gym, so to speak. Kundalini yoga or any form of yoga is wonderful because it can be used as strength building. It can be used as uh, flexibility increasing. It can be used and it can often deal with deep functional issues in the body. So for example, if I go to the gym and lift weights, that might be great for my muscular system if I do it properly. And there's a big asterisk next to if I do it properly. It might be great for my muscles, my bones to a certain extent my circulation, all that. But 
yoga is so sophisticated and not just yoga, Tai Chi or Qigong, those kinds of art forms as well, that they get into the gland, how the glandular system functions and fires. They get into how your vital organs produce their natural fluids and, you know, and all the datus, how the datus are formed in the body. And so if, if you are a certain type of constitution, you want to adopt a different kind of exercise that's based on your unique situation. There's no such thing as everyone should go to the gym and everyone should do this or that. That would not be honoring the different types of constitutions and different bodily needs that are around. So yoga is wonderful because it creates a very enduring, flexible, resilient body. And yoga is not a big proponent of pushing the body to exhaustion. That's one of the issues in modern day training. You know, work it until you're wiped out and you can barely get up off the floor. Ayurveda would say, whoa, that is, that is pushing the body too hard and unnecessary to create balance. So while you might create nice toned or big muscles, if you're a guy, guys are typically going for that ripped larger musculature and women are typically going for leaner, typically not always, typically going for leaner, but still very toned musculature. You got to be careful about that because you got to, you, if you're, if you're a Vata constitution as a male, you build too much muscle mass. That is actually very uh, malfunctional for your body. It's, it's going to lead you to injury. It's going to put excessive pressure on your vital organs and so on and so forth. So there's a consequence to being too in shape, so to speak. So, I mean, this stuff fascinates me to uh, no extent just because I was an athlete as well. I was a college athlete and played three different sports. And so like, I always look back and I'm a, I'm a pitta. So yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> like, you know, you might've already guessed by that. Um, but I mean, I find pittas are usually typically the athletes, like they, that's what they like to do. They compete. But then as you were saying that with the Vata, with the males, I'm like, huh, that's so interesting because, you know, and I, basketball is one of my sports, but I had a lot of, you know, like the people who tend to be injured might be more Vata thinking back, um, constitution, um, which would make sense because their bodies maybe weren't, you know, built for this high impact, you know, heavy workouts when you were competing, uh, you had to strength train. I mean, you put your body through the ringer. So that's really interesting to think about. Yeah. And, and also the other thing is, so when you have someone who's competing at a very high level in athletics, their dietary necessities and their exercise necessities in order to perform at a certain level are going to be very different than the average person. Yeah. And athletes get injured. It's just part of the job. Every athlete knows that. And so they're taking that on as a choice. They're saying, I want to perform at a certain level and, and, and compete athletically. And so, yeah, I'm going to have to place certain demands on my body that I normally would not. But we have a culture where these people who are working office jobs or just jobs that don't demand that level of performance are trying to take on exercise routines that mirror those athletes. That's a big mistake Ayurvedically. That's putting way too much pressure on a body. Um, and to, so that, and let's, let's just be honest. I, I like honesty because it's important because this is what we're dealing with. People are doing it a lot of times for body image reasons that have nothing to do with their health. Um, and that's going to create an issue. That's going to create a, a challenge in the body because they might do or not do something that would be healthy 
but they're just doing it because they want to look attractive or feel attractive or something like that. Oh yeah. We, I had broke this down with one of the um, trainers that I really respect. And, you know, he was just like, nobody over the age of 35 should be doing CrossFit because of the reasons you just said, you know, most people who are doing it are sitting at a desk all day and then they're going to get up like minimal warmups and just go throw around their body like that. And so, um, he's, he ends up seeing them, um, as a PT, just because he's like, they typically get injured and they land with me. So it's just an interesting, um, concept to think about. And I'm a big fan of, um, I'm also a weirdo of a trainer, but I train people for like, I train people around their menstrual cycles. And so a lot of the women I do, I take their hormones in mind and we don't, I don't push at all. Um, just because my training is completely, and I've been a trainer for 14 years, um, has shifted since I learned Ayurveda, you know, six years ago. And, you know, a lot of my clients were like, wow, you've totally, you've changed and they've changed because of it, because it is a different way to work the body and to really pay attention to it. And at first it might seem like a lot, like what we are talking about, but the more you implement just one change at a time, the more you start to realize like, oh, this, this really is a system that is rooted in, um, I mean, wisdom, it's 5,000 years old for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say that coming off that, that's super important. I love that you mentioned the menstrual cycle thing and honoring that cycle and doing the appropriate activities around that cycle, hugely important. And, and everyone has cycles. There's the menstrual cycle, there's cycle circadian cycles, there's all that stuff. And so exercising at the right time is very important people going after work, exercising nine, 10 at night, not the right time to exercise. It's going to cause you problems down the line and, um, eating habits around exercising, all these things. So that's why it's so good to have some structure. Like you asked me at the beginning, I very intentionally perform my yoga, asana, pranayama, meditation, mantra chanting at a time before I've eaten early in the morning. That's very intentional. That's not a coincidence. It's the ideal time to do it. And um, it gets you ready for your day. It gets your body awake and alive. Your metabolism starts working at the right time, so on and so forth. And it's, it's crucially important also not to just think of exercise as this purely physical thing, because back to the autonomic nervous system, if I'm full of stress and fear, and suffering from a weight issue that's caused by that autonomic process, I could run on a treadmill 10 hours a day and I'm not gonna lose weight. Oh yeah, and I've seen it. <laughs> yep. I've seen it, like the HIIT workouts, uh, when I used to teach a HIIT class, uh, this is also why I, could, I had to stop teaching. I was like, I, this is just, the people who are coming should not be coming. And I've tur I turned away a few people. I was like, you need to go home and sleep. They're like I'm coming, I'm two hours of sleep. I'm like, you shouldn't be here. You, your body needs to rest, not to be put through a hit workout. So I, yeah, yep. The more, you know, the more you can't just like, you know, turn a blind eye. You're like, this is not good for you. Yeah, um, exactly. And unfortunately, and you know, that is why I love myth busting so much. It's seriously one of my favorite things to do because I, I like the honesty when, when we could sit down and say, look, when, whenever there's some something that comes out for people, even if it's even if there's something true about it, like some diet that's just like says do the X diet, there's probably some morsel of truth inside what that diet's trying to convey. But when it's marketed to the masses that it's just good for everyone, that's when a big red flag comes up for me, because it's impossible. Not everyone has the same body, 
not every workout is going to be good for everyone. And let's just be real. It gets marketed that way because there are people who want to make a lot of money off of it. And I don't blame them for that. But yeah, if you're going to talk about from an Ayurvedic perspective, it's, it's irresponsible. It's not the way our bodies should be honored. Gosh, Victor, thank you so much for coming on. I've loved our conversation and um, could talk for probably another couple hours here, but I would love to know, like, where can people find you? If they're like, oh, I want to find your book or I want to check out your website, where can they connect with you? The easiest way, and I'm very available, uh, it's very easy to reach me and and my team over here is the website. So that's www.iiayurveda.com. And it's I-I-A-Y-U-R-V as in Victor, E-D as in dog, A.com for those who don't know how to spell Ayurveda because I know it's a hard word. And um, you can easily contact me, find out about the book, find out about the workshops. We have tons of workshops. Clinically, I do one-on-one consultations. Um, so easy to sign up for a consultation there if you're looking to improve your health, uh, as I'm sure you do a lot of one-on-one work as well. Mm-hmm. So the that's it. That's the easiest way to find me. You can get my book on Amazon too, if that's the, your preferred, preferred route. Perfect. Okay. I also have to ask this because I didn't see any social media. Do you not do social media? I have chosen to do one social media on purpose, of course. I know. I was like, oh, tell me why. Cause I am like, so that's one that's my thorn in my side. Cause I hate doing it. Cause it, again, it, it takes your senses away. Like it just distracts you from your day and it's, oh, so I would That's love right. to- Vata aggravating, right? Yes. Computers are already Vata aggravating, but then how we use computers is even more Vata aggravating, which is this and this color is popping up here and this badge and this sound and ding, ding, dong, you know, like, and then, oh, wait, I, I, I posted on Facebook, but now I need to post on LinkedIn and now I need to post on Instagram and now I need to post on like that. I mean, just listen to the tone and speed of my voice. Yeah. That's yeah. what your brain's doing while- you're working with all this stuff and yes, it, it aggravates Vata. It causes, I mean, ADHD diagnoses have gone way up. And of course it's in part because of all this behavior and we call it ADHD, but why don't we just call it excessive screen use Vata aggravation? Mm-hmm. I mean, cause that's something we can deal with by lifestyle behavior change as opposed to needing to prescribe a pill. Um, but I did that on purpose. I, I, I don't have a cell phone. I don't text. As I walk through my day, I'm focused on what I'm doing. And of course, there are times where I need to deal with multiple things at once, of course, but I minimize that so that's not unnecessary. This, I mean, yes, I want to do all of that. And I've wanted to do all of that. I'm like, all right, well, okay. You run a business, you're doing that. And all right, motivation for myself to to start uh, cutting ties with some of the social medias. It, it is possible. I want to tell people that, that a lot of the stuff, because I know it's a sore spot. It's like, but my business, yeah. but I found that because I started out that way. I was like, oh, I need this and this and this and this and this. And actually my business has improved the more streamlined I've gotten. Well, and that's what I tell people. I'll go on big, long Instagram breaks. And like, you know, all of my business coaches that I've ever had were like, oh, you need to be on. But I'm like, I, it doesn't affect my business. Like I don't tend to get more clients when I'm on there versus when I'm not. So why do it? You know, that's always my question. And it's, I mean, it is something to ponder and I love that you're, you're, you don't even have a cell phone. So how freeing, how freeing. 
Oh, that's great. I remember the day I put down my cell phone for like two weeks afterwards, I noticed that my hand would go to my pocket oh, yeah. just, just out of habit. And I was like, whoa, that is how big of an impact it was having on my nervous system. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I had that conversation with a client just the other day and she had, um, she could only buy yoga pants with pockets. And I was like, oh, why? She's like, well, I have to have my phone. So of course, it's, you know, I got to have my pockets. And she's like, well, what do you do? She's like, you wear yoga pants. I'm like, yeah, I don't know where my phone is right now. I don't carry my phone with me. And she's like, oh, and then that made her pause. Cause she was like, oh my goodness, that is, I didn't even, you know, she didn't even dawn on her that she was purposely buying pants to fit in this phone that she didn't want to be tied down to, but ultimately was tied down with. So I'm like, oh, I mean, it's sometimes just having these conversations. People are like, oh, wow, I'm doing yeah. those things too. I mean, we can get in so deep with this. Maybe we should do another podcast because that's really where the Ayurveda health stuff comes in deep. I mean, the like these habits we have, and then we go to a yoga class to do yoga asana, right? Because most classes are asana, not yeah. yoga. Yoga is union with spirit or your own essence or something like that. But most classes we go to are asana and that's cool. Asana is great, but we go to asana and then we go and do all these we go and undo everything we just did yep. in our yoga yep. class. Yep. So it's funny how we work. I mean, and everybody's like that. I'm not excluding myself. We all have habits like that, but Ayurveda is really good at getting into the, the underneath of all that and saying, Hey, you know, you know, don't, don't go get a, an Ayurvedic therapy and then go eat a cheeseburger. There's, that's kind of, there's something there, right? <laughs> oh, Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to try to wrap it up before we go off on another tangent. Cause again, yeah. such great conversation. Um, but I would love to know, I like to throw out weekly challenge to all the listeners. And then when I have a guest on, I have you throw out the weekly challenge. So what would you like that challenge to be for everyone? Okay. My weekly challenge was going to be eat dinner by 6 PM every day this week and don't eat anything after that was going to be my weekly challenge, but I want to change it. Okay. My change is that Go, my weekly challenge is only use your cell phone for necessary communication. I love that. And we have not had that one. So that's going to be my weekly challenge. And man, I probably, all the listeners are probably just like, oh, forget it. I wasn't going <laughs> to call them, but now I'm not. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to put both up there. So that way, if people are really like, okay, let me try both of these, you know, go for go for them and see, see what comes out of it. And sometimes a week away, it might lead you into, I always find new discoveries and new things and areas of my life that I want to change up. So that's a great challenge. Well, thank you for hosting me. I really had a good time. Well, thank you so much, Victor, for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom with us and everyone listening, go out there and spread your peaceful power.